Thanks so much for joining us. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. Today is Friday, March 13th, 2020. I think it's important to take a note of that for our digital audience as we capture this information and capture this broadcast today that will later be shared on other platforms. We currently broadcast live on Blog Talk Radio, and of course, if you're viewing this through YouTube and Twitter, and we also broadcast later on, you can download any of the podcast apps, any podcast apps that you're familiar with, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Breaker, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We are on, at last count, 25 podcast platforms. So at any time, you can share this message. And based on the content of today's message, I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. It is going to make you uncomfortable. It is going to make you surprised and it is going to make you want to do something. I need that to happen and for you to be inspired to do something about the topic we're going to talk about. It is hard for us to say that we don't know a woman because you and I exist because of a woman. A woman carried us in her body and gave birth, whether she gave birth surgically through C-section or she gave birth naturally or vaginally, a woman carried us in her body. In some cases, a woman nursed us through her body by her breasts or she held us in her arms and, uh, and fed us. That woman could be your biological mother or that one, that woman could be someone who loved you enough to raise you. It doesn't matter. The fact is that women are contributing members of our society. Further out, some of us were taught by women. So we had our first teacher was a woman. Some of us were raised by women. And so as we look around in our society today, and as we look around the world and see what is happening with women, not just here in the U.S., but women across the globe, we begin to wonder how women are treated in this 21st century. This is the 21st century after all, so we expect that by now, there are some attitudes towards women that would have changed. There are some situations where by now, it's not just a woman's right thing, but it's more of a human right thing. I believe a famous woman named Hillary Clinton said, women's rights are human rights. And I never thought that I would adopt that saying until I saw how evocative it speaks to the fact that women have rights and for some reason, we're the group of people who are denied the most. I was watching a a Law & Order episode a few weeks ago, I think it was last Saturday. I'm not (laughs) self-quarantined. I don't believe I will need to be, but (laughs) it was Saturday morning and I woke up early And I was watching a Law and Order, you know, kind of one of their older episodes. And in this episode, a young woman who is Muslim in New York City was raped. And for some reason, she did not want to call her rapist. So she pointed the finger at someone else, right? Because of, you know, power and so on. But what I got out of it was the attitudes of her parents. She's Muslim. So she's traditional from a traditional Muslim practicing country. And what alarmed me was that this young woman had no body autonomy. She had no autonomy over her body. She was raped and the family's honor and standing in the community was based on her vagina. And I thought, so because the family's whole honor is based on her vagina, she 
can't do anything she wants to do. And if she's raped, then all of a sudden it's her fault because she has now questioned the honor of her family. She has brought it into disrepute. Meanwhile, males are not, the honor for for males in these cultures are not placed on males' penises. But a woman's vagina is politicized and a woman's vagina comes into question and a whole family's history and honor is placed on her vagina. And I thought to myself, I said, there is something very, very wrong with that ideology and that thinking. That's in a Muslim culture. They live here in America. It's kind of like they're here physically, but emotionally and culturally and socially, they're still in their traditional homeland and they still treat women and girls as if they're disposable items. So the family's honor is based on the girl's vagina. Because she was raped, now the family uh, complain and are angry with her. She was violently raped and sodomized. Yet the family complained that because of what happened to her, they can no longer walk around in the community with their heads held high. Are you listening to me? That's in the Muslim culture. Well, today I'm going to talk about femicide in Mexico. Next week, I'll talk about femicide in America. And I'm talking about femicide in Mexico because the story rings and resonates deeply with me. And it's not just, you've, you've all heard my story. My book, Through the Fire, is available on Amazon.com, in which I talked about how I was violently treated in my home country and how I had to literally run to the United States to obtain freedom and to escape my violent husband. And it was the laws that are here that empowered me. And I must give credence to the Violence Against Women's Act. And I'm grateful that Congress has reauthorized it because that act provided a leeway of legitimacy for women like me who come from other countries and who view the United States as a city on a hill and a place where women can obtain freedom. Had that not happened for me, had the Violence Against Women's Act not happened for me, I wouldn't be here. And in many ways, as I read these stories today, I see myself picturized in these stories. I could, it could have been me. Every time I read a story of a woman killed by an intimate partner, I have to speak up and say something because it could have been me. And I cannot stop talking about it. I'm sorry if it offends you or if you find it in some way uh, offensive, but I cannot stop talking about it because it could have been me by staying silent I'm allowing women who are being killed and being murdered by people whom they loved, men whom they loved, to go silent. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, this is about all of us. This is about some of us. This is about all of us. You know a woman who has been affected by intimate partner violence. And if you know her and you have touched her, you're touching someone like me. And I am encouraging you to listen to this broadcast so that you can hear information that will help you identify and perhaps, perhaps support us as we strive for more definition from the federal government to help helpless women. I want to know that my children and grandchildren are going to live in a world, my daughters and my great and my granddaughters and great granddaughters are going to live in a world where they're not going to be killed because they're women. It's called femicide. So in Mexico and other Latin American countries, violence against women is so strong 
and is so on the uprise, is so such a, a statistic that they have had to create a special provision and a special definition. Women who are killed because they're women. And some of the stories you're going to hear if I say them are very graphic. So strap on and and get your seats up because this is going to be something. Now, femicide in Mexico is on the rise. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, Mexico is kind of an ideal study because Mexico has a culture of machismo and violence, you know, uh... I'm the man kind of thing. So the expression of a new culture against silence and machismo is taking root in Mexico. I mean, a culture in which women are demanding equal treatment. The expression comes in light of a newly classified form of crime known as femicide. Or the killing of a woman or girl, in particular by a man on account of her gender. In other words, femicide is the murder of women simply because she's a woman. To classify a crime as a femicide, Mexico's uh, federal criminal code, I admire that about them, requires that the victim display signs of sexual violence or the existence of previous threats and so on. But still, even with that definition, the violent perpetrators of this crime are still still being, being, being set free. They're still not being found, they're not being tried, they're not being convicted. And that is a big problem because that means that more women and more girls are at risk. Violence against women has really never stopped, has it? If we look at history and look at how women have been treated through history, we've been enslaved, we've been demoralized, we've been blamed for everything. We had sex with men consensually and they still made us walk through the streets with a big A on our chest, but the man whom we had sex with you know, he got away with murder. And in, in, in a lot of ways, I can see why the movement, why women are getting fed up with how we're treated by men, and especially, you ready for this? Law enforcement. How women who are victims of violent crime are treated by law enforcement. Now, I must say, in my encounters uh, with uh, law enforcement in this community, especially here in Southeast Michigan, maybe because I'm me, I have found that there is now an awareness and a sensitivity. But ordinary women sometimes do not have that positive experience or that positive encounter when they are the victim of a violent crime. Victims of crime and victims of sexual violence and victims of physical violence, invariably women, hesitate sometimes to come forward to law enforcement because they're derided, they're mistreated, and they're not given the dignity and sensitivity that this kind of crime requires. Women who have been subjected to violent and sexual sexual uh, assault are oftentimes hesitant to even disclose. Imagine describing to a total stranger how someone stripped you off your clothes and raped you. It's not something to laugh about. It's not something to imagine sexually. And it's not something to make fun of or make light of because invariably the woman is the victim. 
Uh, I'm gonna give you a statistic that is alarming. 94% of women in the United States who are murdered are murdered by someone they know and love. 75% of women in the United States are killed when they try to escape a violent relationship. They're, they're on their exit. The statistically speaking, a woman has 18 months after she exits a violence relationship. If she survives 18 months, she'll probably live. But most women who exist, 75% of women who exit a violent relationship are killed within 18 months. Something has got to be done. It's time to stop violence against women. So if you're watching this broadcast and if you're listening to this, the hashtag stop violence against women and end this now is on Twitter. Use it. Bring attention to it. If a woman was killed by an intimate partner in your community, post the story with the hashtag stop violence against women. This is going on and on. Too many women are being killed by intimate partners, by uncles, brothers, cousins, ex-boyfriends, ex-lovers, ex-husbands, stalkers, people whom you knew, neighbors, and strangers. I guess the one with strangers ends up on an episode of Criminal Minds if you get lucky. So what is femicide in Mexico and how did that start? Well, they describe it as the Mexican (laughs) feminist spring because on Valentine's Day in Mexico this past year in 2020, women staged a shutdown. On the next day, February 15th, women stayed, 20 million women reportedly stayed home and struck, saying, all right, well, let's see what you do without women. It was called a day without women. Un día sin mujeres. A day without women. Millions of Mexican women stayed home on February 15th. And on the 14th, women marched in Tijuana, Mexico, right across the border. Women staged a march because so many women had been killed. And the women in these movements say that this is their last resort to obtain justice for the women who are killed and more importantly, to create such a heightened sense of awareness that it prevents other women from being killed. No, let's just let's just think about that for a second. How does it prevent other women from being killed? Well, if other perpetrators see that if you kill your girlfriend or your ex-girlfriend, you're mad that she left you and then go and have a new boyfriend. If you're mad that she left you and you see that you, if you think you're machismo enough and you're man enough and I love you, but I don't hate you. Love does not hurt, number one. So if you think you're man enough and you kill a woman, then you will realize that you're going to be tried and convicted and sent to prison. If that continues to happen, it could stem the tide. And then there are other factors too. I mean, like people knowing that their sons and cousins and uncles do kill women and beat up women, but no, but, but you all are not saying anything. You're not telling them to stop. They just continue to do it with impunity and get away with it. And then of course, a police officer shows up and without sensitivity makes fun of the victim's plight. I'm gonna tell you a couple of stories that happened in Mexico. A 15-year-old girl who was marching in this uh, in, in, in this uh, feminist spring movement, uh, was her, she became a part of the movement at 15 because her mother was murdered in front of her and her four-year-old baby brother. Her mother was 33 
and was stalked and killed by her ex-boyfriend, the ex-husband. Hello. Femicide in Mexico is a worsening crime. Well, what about America? Well, murder of women in America. I have a 2017 statistic. 2,237 women in America were killed in 2017. Let that sink in. Homicides by intimate partners are on the rise worldwide. Some countries don't report it because they're more of a, you know, a male-dominated society. Recently, we saw where uh, a major country in the Arab nation, in Dubai, the Prince of Dubai, uh, his she his ex-wife, she's now ex, obtained a divorce from him because she had run away and gone to England to live. Lucky for her. This story further came out that two of his daughters have been imprisoned by him since 2000 because he didn't want them to be free. That's the culture of violence against women worldwide. In the US, 94% of women killed are done by an intimate partner. Mexico has a war on women. Machismo is the thing in Mexico. You know, even the president of Mexico even said that we should love and not hate. As if, as if y'all, that is going to stop a man who is intent on violently killing his former lover or his current girlfriend. One woman was stabbed and skinned by her partner. Then parts of her corpse were splashed across the newspaper. How disgusting is that? So she was victimized when she was killed by her partner and stabbed multiple times. But that wasn't wrong. That wasn't bad enough. Then the pictures of her corpse were splashed across the newspaper. So people got mad. Like, so you're proud of it. You're supporting it. You are pushing forward a culture that supports the violence of women. (laughs) Can you just believe that? The current president of Mexico had promised to help, but he has done nothing. It seems that they promised to help and then they get into office and they forget about it, right? Last year, uh, 3,825 women, almost 4,000 women were killed in Mexico. 1,006 of them were officially classified as femicides. That is women or girls killed because of their gender. Now check this out, in 2015, there were only 426 women killed in Mexico. But by 2019, you have 4,000. Why the rise? And I know you're all out there listening. I know you're listening and I know you can hear this. Why the rise in violence against women in Mexico? Why are women being killed? Women even marched on the Attorney General's office on February 15th. And check this out, a grandmother who now has to raise her grandchildren at 61. She's now a 61-year-old grandmother. She now has to raise her grandchildren. She says the government has failed in its duty to protect Mexican women. Only 10% of cases where the attacker has been caught leads to a conviction. Only 10%? Why is the bar so low? Well, most of the people prosecuting and investigating are men. In Mexico and other Latin American countries, 
feminist and human rights activists have argued that the murder of a woman has not been a law enforcement priority. Femicide again is gender. It's gender-based crime against women. It's sexual violence or a sentimental or close relationship between victim and suspect. I'm going to say this. In the United States, the Department of Justice uh, began some years ago to examine the relationship between, uh, between victim and perpetrator. They recognized that a sharp rise in the uptick of violence against women warranted enough the federal government's attention. That's here in the United States. And so the federal government was distributing funds to nonprofits and other non-government organizations and community-based organizations to figure out and to help victims of violence. In other words, they were the federal government recognized that there's a place at which they stop, but there are organizations that can reach people on a community-wide level. They were collecting this data because they wanted to do the science of it. They wanted to do the research to see what it is that is making this happen. What is the nature of the relationship? And when the facts began to come out, it's alarming. Women were being killed. 94% of women are being killed by someone they knew and loved. 75% of women being killed when they exit a violent relationship within 18 months. And sometimes you begin to wonder why the statistics are so high or why you don't see much of it. Sometimes some of the offenders are law enforcement personnel themselves. Most women who are married to police officers, when they get beaten up, they know better than to go report that. They quietly try to leave. And if they're successful at leaving, they're lucky. Sometimes they lose their lives. There's one case I remember that happened in New Jersey a few years ago that was quite alarming. She was out of there 10 months and he was dragging the case through the courts. Wouldn't agree to the divorce, wouldn't agree to custody. You know how that is, dragging and dragging it. And he chased her through town one day. And when she crashed because her car lost control, the former police, he was still a police officer, jumped out of the car and shot her multiple times. It was the citizens who had to restrain him. Nobody could believe that he was a police officer who was well-loved by members of the community. That's just one glaring example of how this happens. Violence against women. We've got to stop it. Wouldn't you say? We've got to stop it. In Mexico and other Latin American countries, feminists and human rights activists have argued that the murder of a woman has not been a law enforcement priority. I'm going to tell you some stories right now that is perhaps going to make your, your hair curl a little bit, but the stories of these women resonate. Hey, the stories of these women resonate because it could have been any one of us. Ingrid Escamilla was a 25-year-old woman who was killed on February 9th. She was stabbed to death. Her body was skinned and she was disemboweled. Her organs were removed. Later on, law enforcement captured a surveillance video in which they saw her ex-boyfriend, whom she had broken up with. His clothing was bloodied and they got a confession out of him. She was 25 years old. In Mexico, one in 10 cases results in a conviction. Most women 
attackers remain free and the Mexican government has not done much about it. Well, to be fair, the current president is not responsible for what has been happening to women in Mexico. If you look at the numbers, if there were 425 women murdered in 2015, by scale alone, that should have told us that that number was more likely to increase than decrease, right? So this didn't begin with the current president. He was elected, he was very popular, and he was elected because he assured women that he would do something about the violence that was happening to them. But nothing has been done. So I wanna read to you why Mexico and certain Latin American countries have adopted the standard definition of what is considered femicide. Uh, Here in the United States, We have not, the federal government has not adopted a definition of femicide. What the federal government does is track uh, domestic violence killings. They track domestic violence and the killings of women. And it is often referred to as intimate partner violence. And that number uh, is, is tracked based on law enforcement reporting, right? Now, here's what Latin American countries have come up with as a definition of femicide. Murder of a woman because she's a woman. Sexual violence. Existence of previous threats. Here we call it stalking. Evidence of harassment. Stalking. History of violent episodes. Domestic violence, typically. Deprivation of a victim's freedom. And forced exposure of a person's body in a public place. We, we, we got to think about that, right? So this is the standardized uh, definition by people in, law in, in Latin America and Mexico. We need such a thing here in the U.S., don't you think? And, and the thing is, in Mexico, they say the numbers are low because the standardized definition had not been adopted. If they were to review previous cases, then the standard would be higher, just like here in the U.S., The more information we know, the more we know is the more we are able to track the numbers and see where stuff is happening and who it is happening to and why. But the fact of the matter is that the whole world seems to have a violent culture when it comes to the treatment of women. Mexico is one of them. Mexico has a problem with violence. In fact, in Mexico, 40,299 people were killed in 2019. 2018, I'm sorry. 40,000 people were killed in Mexico in 2018. That's too high. Imagine if that were to happen here in the U.S. It would be a mutiny. It could not happen. So Mexico does have a problem with, with violence. And it becomes more evident when it happens to women. Now, one of the proposals that they feel will mitigate this crisis in Mexico is the proposal of the creation of a special prosecutor's office that would specialize in crimes against women. That would be nice. Uh, Here in the U.S., I think in most police departments, they have a sex crimes unit or they call that special victims unit, sex crimes unit that focuses on sex crimes because typically sex crimes happen to women. Some men have Men are raped, right? But men rarely come forward to disclose that. So typically it's women and girls. So there's 
the sex crimes unit and their job really is to focus on the investigation that obviously will, that hopefully will lead to the prosecution of, of, of perpetrators who commit these violent acts against women and girls. And to be honest with you, this happens with impunity right across the board, right? In fact, I was looking at one number that said in 1976, there were 3,000 murders against women. And they attributed to the fact that in 1976, there were more women who were married, right? Right. And, and so in today's world, women are marrying later and women oftentimes don't get married at all, right? And because they're marrying later and they're able today to run away from violent relationships. In 1976, it was harder because you were married. The laws hadn't been changed. You had to stay married. You couldn't get a divorce. They believe the man anyway. Times have changed, right? So now women are able to get away, go to shelters, and start all over again. I'm one of those women who had to start all over again. I had to start literally from scratch. I was very blessed that I had family who lived in a whole other city, who lived in Detroit. I lived in Orlando, Florida when this began, when it reached a peak. It started in my home country of Jamaica. I had to run like the wings of an eagle to come to Miami, to come to the United States, to escape a violent, abusive marriage from which I could see no end. Looking back on it now, I am so glad I had the means to run. Imagine how different my story would have been. Because in that culture, women are still killed with impunity. People nowadays, people are speaking more about it, but this was 20 years ago. There were very, there was very little uh, action and traction being given to women who were murdered in intimate partner violence. In fact, it wasn't even talked about 20 years ago. So I'm grateful that I was, I'm so very grateful. I had to start all over again. And because I started all over, I, every day I feel like, you know, it's a bonus. When I think of what could have happened to me, how it could have been. We exist by a slim chance. As much as we believe that we are free, we're really, we're only as free as we believe we are. Because there are a lot of women who are caught up in a vortex of violence. They cannot escape violent relationships. Very, can I just be honest with you? Nobody goes into a violent relationship thinking, I love the violence. The, 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 the perpetrator, the guy always makes you feel like though he's violent, it's not directed at you initially. It's not directed at you. It's over time that it is revealed that his violence is about you because it is about him wanting to retain power and control and inevitably retaining power and control extends to the people around him, especially women. For some reason, men who have an inclination to be violent towards women are hell bent on pursuing power and control over women. I don't know why the psychology of it escapes me, but it's something that they pursue. Killing a woman is the ultimate form of power that this man feels. You know, you ever hear them say, if I can't have you, no one else can? You better believe when somebody says that. When they tell you that if I can't have you, no one else will, they mean it. Run for your life. Right? And if, if you get a chance to get away, stay away. Don't go back because they don't change. 
the nature of them is that they want power and control. Violence against women is about power and control. Femicide is about power and control. It's about a person who is inevitably male, who chooses and who wants to retain power and control over his female counterpart. She's a lover. She's the mother of his children. Doesn't matter. She's an ex-girlfriend. Doesn't matter that she doesn't want him anymore. Nah, the fact that he wants her is all the more reason for him to kill her. Beating her up is a form of power and control. That's a demonstration of his power and control. He's driving fear into her. Making sure she is killed and disemboweled means that he now has ultimate power. He skins her. That is, he's removing her identity to make sure she no longer exists. Such is the violence that is in his heart and in his mind. Violent men who are violent towards women didn't always start out violent. They started out as Casanovas. They started out as Romeos wanting to love and they display love. This is why maybe the president of Mexico, maybe he's not violent, who says uh, we can do more with love than we can with hate. He does not, he misses the dynamic and he misses the psychology behind it. And it's not up to the victim or not, neither is it the responsibility of the victim to dissect what her lover does. All she needs to do is to get away if she can. Sometimes women move to a whole other city start a whole new life, start a new job, right? Get a new apartment. And here comes Mr. Man, still intent on killing her because uh, because ultimately his goal is to power her, overpower her and control her. If I can't have you, no one else will. I remember my ex-husband used to tell me when I had to go to work, he would call me on my way to work. He would call me when I arrive. He would call me at break time. He would call me at lunchtime. He would call me at three o'clock. He would call me on my way home, would call me when I, it was unbelievable. It was relentless. He was trying to retain control because he thought that going to work meant that he has no control. It's one of the things that in 1976, the numbers were highest because women were controlled by the men in their lives. They couldn't go to work. If the expectation was, if your husband says you can't go to work, you can't. And in a lot of environments, even today, women are still told that. We're, we still have to toe the line. We, women have, we have very little autonomy. If you want to stay in a relationship with your husband, your lover, your man, most of the times we have to bite our lip. You can't say nothing. If you say anything, you're mistreated. You're, uh, oh, they raise their voices. They tell you you can't do this. Or they try to control the relationship by how often they see you. Men are, some men are so insistent on control. It's alarming. You, you know, if ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to tell you right now. If you're in a relationship with a man and he's so intent on controlling you, you need to watch out. If he, the first thing is, if he's going to control how often you see him, that is a relationship that is not going anywhere. If he's going to tell you when he can see you, when how far the pace of the relationship proceeds. If he's going to demonstrate it to you, don't call me, I'll call you. Don't text me, I'll text you. I only see you when I want to. I don't want a relationship. Ladies, look out for that. Then you, of course, you have the Romeo one. The Romeo one is, I love you, baby. No one loves you like I do. Sure, 
Okay, I'm going along with this. But if you so much as pick up the phone to answer the phone, who is that? I thought I told you nobody else love you like I do. No one else can love you like I do. Who are you on the phone with? When they start asking questions, who are you texting? Who are you on the phone with? Ladies, watch out. Didn't you just talk to your mom last week? You're talking to your brother. Why do you talk to them so often? That's your friend? He's your friend? Since when a man is friend with a woman? A man is not just friends with a woman. He wants to creep up on you, doesn't he? Or, where are you going? Why are you wearing that? It shows too much off you. Why are you wearing makeup? Why are you going to get your hair done? And you wonder why today, alarmingly, more women are single and choose to be single because we can't stand this BS. And we know by now, by history of watching our mothers and grandmothers and aunts and cousins go through these violent episodes we have now learned that the minute they start putting some boundaries and borders on you, it's time for you to run for your life. So most women are like, you know what? I'd love to be in a relationship with a guy, but I can't find the right man. I can't find a man. What she's saying is I can't find a man who fits and I can't find a man whom I don't suspect is going to be violent towards me. She's not going to say that out loud. She'll tell you, yeah, I went out with him and so on, but I didn't like the way he started questioning me and asking me about my movements. And he wanted to ask me, where do I go? What do I wear? She's not going to say that because that is what? Hurtful and disappointing. You go out with someone on a date and you meet them and you are like, oh my God, pray to the Lord God Almighty. This is the one. I don't have to go through this again. And before the date is over, he wants, you know, he's already following you on Instagram, but now he wants the name, your phone, mother's phone number, <laughs> wants your address. Ladies, we need to do a really good job of, 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 of looking at people, right? You need to screen people. And for the love of God, please do not enter into a long-term relationship within two or three months. You are putting yourself at grave risk. If somebody comes in and they're hot and heavy and they're sweeping, and we're so, we've been socialized to be, to expect some romanticism, right? And, and Prince Charming is going to come and he's going to sweep us off our feet. And men who tend to be violent have, they have a game. They have a playbook, I like to call it, that they follow. They know exactly how to say what you want to hear. They're ex, they're sociopathic and psychopathic at the same time. As sociopaths, they become exactly what you want. So they mirror, they profile you. And they mirror the behavior that you want, that they believe you want. And they play it much to your demise. And they do it with impunity because after all, we live in a masochistic society where men have power and women don't. Men have more power than we do. If men, if women had power, as we want to believe we do, guess what? We would get equal pay right out the bat. If I call the police and tell them that my intimate partner has beat me up, they'll slap the cuffs out and slap it on him. But instead, they're grilling me, the victim, and re-victimizing me all over again. And by the time it gets to, to, to the prosecutor's office, he's getting a plea deal, walking away. And I'm still sitting there with the trauma 
and the PTSD to look forward to for years to come. This is why it's important to stop violence against women. So we recognize that after the fact is after the fact. So we want to stop it before it happens. So I, I, I've written, if you get my book through the fire, I have red flags in a relationship. By the time you get to number five, you should be walking, you should be saying, you know what, this date, thank you for taking me out. Have a good one. <laughs> right? Ladies, screen them. Don't let them come to your house and pick you up. It might be on your social media profile where you work. When you're driving after you've met them, look in your rearview mirror if you see that sucker driving behind you. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. They stalk you. This is how come they know so much about you because they start following you to see who you interact with, who do you live with, how many people are in the house, which men are in there, are you related to them or not. And these are the kinds of issues that women face and I, it, it is very difficult. I once described this to one of my brothers, right? And he said to me, sis, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I said, how could you? You're a man. You don't know what it's like to be a woman. So how could you know that this is what we face? When I explained to my brother that every time I'm getting dressed to go out, I have to consider where am I going because I have to view how am I going to be perceived when I put this dress on. I want to put on a dress because it looks pretty or I like the way it looks or the way it makes me feel. I want to put on something because it's comfortable for me to wear. But I don't have that due consideration. I have to think about what environment am I going to be in? Am I go- Is it likely that I could be attacked? I was recently explaining this to, to a woman. You know, I'm one of those persons who I, I carry tote. I like tote bags and stuff because you can, I tend to have everything. I have my date book in there, my makeup bag, and I have another bag with keys and business cards and, you know, those kinds of things and pens and uh, all kinds of stuff. So instead of just having it flailing around in my purse, I keep it in another thing. And I was buying a purse uh, sometime recently and I was describing to the woman how I keep it in this thing and then when I move from purse to purse. And she, 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 she brought it up. She said, yeah, I find that I'm doing that. I said, the reason we're doing it is because we're women. We're conscious that we could be attacked. So if they try to attack you and your purse falls, everything, your lipstick and everything is going to fall out. Right? And she said, oh my God, I never realized it. I said subconsciously. So when I was describing it to my brother, he was like, sis, I'm sorry. It never occurred to him. I said, no, because you're a man. You are never vulnerable. You never feel like you never have to walk through a parking deck and have to look over your shoulder or stay on your phone. Now, hope you have signal so you can call someone while you're walking to your car. You ever seen a guy? He just walks right up to his car and, and boom, and goes in. Not us. We start opening the car from two miles out. We start pump, pump, searching for a signal to open your car. Some of us bring out the app, put press it in the phone and get the car started before you get there. We have to think about what are we going to wear. Uh, I, I'm one of those persons, I like to wear heels. When I became, when I started working in human trafficking, I stopped wearing heels. I became more conscious. I found myself, I started wearing more leggings with sweaters that enshroud me. I kid you not. Now, you got to understand that I'm a former beauty queen and a model. So I wore heels and skirts and, and I, because I'm a girl. I like to feel girly. But when I became more public and was more in the public's eye and I had to interface with different people across different spectrums, I began to realize that they do look at you and I'm feminine, I'm woman. 
I have all the virtues of being a woman. I recognized that they were looking at me and I felt compromised and uncomfortable. So I found myself one time I was meeting with a group of folks and they were all men and there were probably like three other women there. And when I showed up, I was going to take my sweater off and keep on a smaller shrug. When I showed up, I found myself doing this. And the other women there looked at me and smiled. They understood immediately. Right? This is what happens. This is the culture of violence against women. Nothing is wrong with a man admiring a woman and choosing. There are better ways to express it. Please don't touch women without being invited to. Please do not comment on our looks as if it compromises us, especially professional women, especially when we're in places where we're trying to do something. It defaces us and make it seem as if all we're good for is still getting a roll in the hay with you. Thank you for your understanding. Tell us we are beautiful, yes. Tell us we, it makes us smile, yes. Leave it at that. Recently, I went to the store. You know, in all this craziness about the coronavirus, I went to a store because I don't want to be find myself in a state where the, the government quarantines us and we don't have anything. So I was in a store and I had on uh, a sweater and leggings and boots because it was a cool day. And I am at the cash register. I kid you not. I am minding my own business. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm not engaging. And this dude out of nowhere walks up and says, can I be your man? To show you how aware people are today. When he said that, there was not one person who smiled or laughed. Everyone was shocked and upset that you dared to come and ask a woman that. And she didn't invite it. I never looked at the guy. And, you know, it took me maybe five seconds before I answered. I had to really say, seriously? I was thinking to myself, you're really going to come and say that? So now am I going to have to be worried? Walking out of the store, walking to my car. Are you going to drive and follow me around as I go home? So I took an alternate route. These, a man wouldn't think like that. A man would be like, huh? What you say? <laughs> right? And so it, it's for those of us, we feel vulnerable. This is why we wear more pants than anything else. Because they're looking up your legs. And you start telling yourself, if I have to run, I don't want to have to hitch my skirts up. In another lifetime, some of us did that. But anyway, it's beside the point. <laughs> right? But think about it. This is what it feels to be a woman. We're constantly being stigmatized. We're constantly in a form, in a state of arrested development. Like we're not, like the only thing we're good for is sex. And when you think you're done having sex with me. I am not done wanting to have sex with you. So you can't have sex with anybody else without my permission. In fact, you can't live without my permission. That's the messaging from men who are violent towards their intimate partners. You can't live without my permission. My permission is that you live with me for the rest of your life. I remember I had to ask my ex-husband. I had to ask him, do you think my parents created me so that you could beat me up? Do you think they created me specifically just for your purpose? Because that's what he said. That's how he acted. That's what his, the messaging behind his actions. And that's what he actually said. 
He said, you ain't got no more use to nobody else but me. And I, you know, I had to sit there and think to myself, like, did I have a life, a whole life before this man? Or what? Did I grow up? Was I somebody's child? Did somebody love me? Did somebody take care of me? And they took care of me so that this man could treat me like this? That was a different time. I don't let that happen to me today. I just don't, I just don't engage with anybody. I'm like, mm, I'm good. Because at the first sign of control, I'm gone. I don't want to be asked any questions. And ladies, there is a place in which men whom you choose to engage with intimately, there's a place in which they do ask questions for safety's sake. We have to have the wisdom to know that, but you can tell. And I'm going to tell you how you know. You want to know how you know? Good old-fashioned gut instinct. If it doesn't feel right in your gut, run for your life. There's a place in which you go out on a date with a guy and he says, let me walk you to your car and you feel comfortable. But there's a place in which him walking you to your car make you feel like I don't want him to know what kind of car I drive. I don't want him to know where I parked. I probably don't feel it. Follow your gut instinct. It is never wrong. Your intuition will save you a lot more than what surveillance cameras will do. Ladies, keep your addresses private. This is why don't give out your information to people, even on your social media pages. As far as anybody is concerned, I live in Detroit, Michigan. Boom, that's it. Go find me. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Don't give out your address. I see people all the time. One of the things that we do is we check in frequently. Stop the checking in. You go to this place, you check in. You go to yoga, you check in. You go to have coffee, you check in. You go to eat dinner, you check in. Ladies, stop it. You don't know who is watching you. And some of these people have nefarious intentions. They want to overcome your will and your power of your own choice, your election of choice. And we've got to watch that. This, this stuff, I feel deep within me that until there are more women in positions of power, femicide and violence against women is going to rampant. Right now in, in, the, in, the gov- in, in the country, we have a few de- uh, governors who are women. Here in Michigan, we seem to like women governors. This is our second go around. Shout out to her, right? We need more women in power. We need more women as prosecutors, more women as chiefs of police, because in the end, we're going to be treated as the victim and with equanimity as opposed to being sidelined. And like you see in the case of Mexico, 10% of cases of violence against women where women are violently murdered, don't even get, don't get a conviction. Next week, I'm gonna talk about what happens here in America, right? A few years ago, I went to a conference that we were trying to put the links between violence in communities and health. And the organizer of the conference, because they know my platform is stopping violence against women and girls, they, my co-presenter was a man who 
was going to talk about what? Men experiencing violence. I didn't say anything, but I was kind of like, that That in a sense, the conference was organized by a man. And I was like, that in a sense is saying that men get beaten on too. It's like one or two percent. Even, even and that is what is reported or claimed. Men don't, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? 98% of victims of violence are women in America. Let's not get it twisted here. The focus is that we, women, we are told we are the weaker sex because that's what the messaging we've gotten over time. We're weaker socially, we're weaker intellectually, we're weaker physically. I might see with the physical part of it, but intellectually? You mean to tell me I don't have a human brain that can think? We might have, we have been socialized differently So there are some thoughts that have been culturally acclimated in our minds differently and interspersed differently, but we're still human. Why tell me that I'm an intellectual lightweight because I'm a woman, right? This is a big deal. This is a much broader problem. Wherever you see violence against women, this is why during the the crisis at the border i understood it completely can you see now why i understood it i can relate because i too came through an international border i had to land in miami on a plane i had to run for my life when the violence began happening and escalated in 1994 or 95 someone told me you need to get out of here my family and friends said you need to go to the U.S. That's the only way you're going to escape this violence. I had to run and leave everything behind and start all over again because life and limb and life is too precious. Had I not done that, I would not be here today. I will continue to advocate for women's rights and to stop violence against women. I will continue to advocate for the reauthorizing of the Violence Against Women's Act. That's what helped and empowered me. That's what aided me to escape the violence that I experienced in my own home by a man who said that he loved me, but who sought to control my movements. And when his words were not enough, he used his fists, he used his hands, he used his feet. However he could do it, dragging me across the floor by my hair, slapping my face, Right? Telling me I can't eat. Don't eat anything today. Did I tell you you could eat? You live because I tell you, turn the TV off. I didn't tell you you could turn the TV on. The only thing he didn't stop me from doing was probably going to the bathroom. He used to stand outside the bathroom to make sure I wasn't in the bathroom doing anything else but what people go in the bathroom to do. I kid you not. Femicide. So when you see me today smiling <laughs> and talking about this stuff, you see now why I had no choice. I had to do what I do. I write books. My book Through the Fire is available on Amazon. Could you buy me a copy of that book? I really appreciate it. Do you think you could? You would be help supporting me because I had to run from violence so that I could live. 
Could you go to the exodusfoundation.com? That's an organization I started to help women like myself. Could you go over there and make a donation? If it's a dollar, I'll take it. If it's $5, you're helping me pay the bills and keep the lights on. And support this podcast because it's liberating, not just for me, but for millions of women whom I probably will never meet, whom I probably will never have the pleasure of sitting in front of. But it helps to get the message out. Could I ask you a favor to share this podcast with others? The information that you've heard here, could you share it with others? Play this over and over again so that others can hear this and recognize that we have to do something about this epidemic of femicide. It's now because it's a it has been talk about a virus being a pandemic. Violence against women has been a pandemic for generations after generations after generations. It's time to stop it and it ends now. My name is Harriet Kemmer. Go to my website, harrietkemmer.com, as well as visit my page on Anchor FM. Continue to support this podcast by listening and sharing this information with others. I'll be back with you today's Friday. I'll be back with you on Sunday, Sunday morning, as we talk about the issues of faith and we talk about the intersectionalities where our humanity encounters the divine. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Do not drink. Wash our hands. I can't believe they're telling us that washing our hands is going to save us from a virus. Well, okay, we'll do it. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed.